Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Word in the House Ministries. I am Minister Andrea Carr. I'm so excited to welcome you this morning. Oh my goodness, it's been a long time, right? We have been delving into the love series and then the forgiveness series. And here we are live today on this day, Easter Sunday, <clears throat> resurrection. I got a frog in my throat. I think it's emotion. Resurrection Sunday, one of, if not the most biggest holidays, celebration days, days of joy in the Christian faith. This day commemorates Jesus getting up, being risen. You know, all that he went through in his life. He started his ministry at 30, and for three years he taught, he led people, he healed people, he performed miracles, he healed, he loved on, he served. And then one day, the religious leaders decided enough is too much. They got well, they didn't even get one of his own, his trusted, his disciples came and said, for 30 pieces of silver, I'll betray him, give him a kiss on the cheek so you'll know who he is and you can go and do what you got to do. So you know the story, you know, Jesus washed the feet and served them and they had the last supper and then he went to the garden of gethsemane and he prayed he asked his three to stay awake keep watch pray and he went away and he prayed and he said you know i know my mission however if this cup can be taken away from me i ask that you do he sweat blood or he sweat tears as blood he said, but not my will, Lord, your will be done. I know what I was sent here for. And even though I, I don't want to do it, I'm having a human, human moment. Your will be done. And he went back and checked on his three and they were sleeping. And he said, hey, wake up. I gave you an assignment. And he left again and prayed and came back and they were asleep again. And he left again. And then on the third time he came back and woke them. He said, just wake up because the hour is now. And as soon as he said it, the religious leaders came with clubs and things and Judas was there and Judas kissed him on the cheek and got, uh, Jesus said, okay, you did what you were supposed to do. <laughs> Off with you. Go by. Bye-bye. And he was arrested. He was taken to trial in front of Pontius Pilate after he had been beaten and bruised and mocked and kicked and spit on and they brought him out after Pontius Pilate, put on the purple robe of royalty, put on the crown of thorns. They mocked him and said, oh, you're the king of the Jews. Pontius even said it. And they were like, get out of this situation. They blindfolded him and hit him. Who hit? Prophesy. Who hit you this time? Go on and prophesy. Use your powers because they were being sarcastic uh, now and tell us who, who's doing what to you. And so Jesus went forth and had his cross, but it was too heavy. So they got Cyrus the Serene uh, to carry it. And he carried it and uh, went to the mountain of skulls, Golgotha, Golgotha, and put the uh, cross up and they crucified him, which means they hung him to the cross, but they didn't tie him. They nailed him into the cross, his wrists and his feet. 
and he hung. And then he had seven last sayings that he said. And we commemorate that on Friday, Good Friday, because that's when it happened. And even though at the time, it didn't seem good. At the time, it seemed like the enemy had won. At that time, it seemed like everything that he said was false. Ooh, I'm not teaching that this morning, because if I was, boy, everything he had said and done was now criticized, ridiculed. I mean, he went through the betrayal of one. He went through the denial of another. He went from, he went through his beloved the loves, the people he spent his lifetime, his inner circle running away. And so he was truly alone. And even at one of the hours that he was there, he felt alone. And he said, God, why hast thou forsaken me? Lord, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? And so he had two thieves beside him. One mocked him and said, well, get us down from here. You're supposed to be almighty, all powerful. The other one said, don't speak to him like that. Don't you know who this is? And because of his belief, Jesus said, you will see me in heaven. You will see me. And that, ooh, powerful. And after that, he bowed his head and said, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost. He was dead. And so Friday, that sad day, Saturday, it was really a day of atonement, people thinking, trying to... <laughs> get their lives back together, get their thoughts together because everything I believed in has been shaken now. So what do I do? When our belief is shaken, sometimes we just sit down, we sit still because we don't know what direction to go in. And we hopefully pray and ask God, can you direct me and show me the way to go? Because I feel lost. I feel without you. Everything I thought was going to work one way didn't. So now I have to believe that you're going to guide me in another way. And so here we are Saturday, yesterday, in a mindset of, Lord, renew me. Do it for me. I need direction. I need power. I need to know what to do. But then on that early Sunday morning, I praise Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. The women went to go anoint the body, Mary, Mary, and Salome. And when they got there, there was no body. The stone, the big, huge stone that the um the religious leaders were like guarded so that way nobody will go in the disciples won't touch the body and make some big lie up so we're gonna guard it and it's heavy so we know the women can't move it when they got there they didn't have to ask the guards to roll away the stone <clears throat> they didn't have to ask the religious leaders to roll away the stone they didn't have to try to move it in their own power because the stone was moved and as they looked in, there was no Jesus. Hallelujah. He had risen, even though the religious leaders had taken measures to make sure that he would be there. The grave couldn't hold him. And today, today he is risen. And we commemorate it today on Resurrection Sunday that he lives. He's not dead. He lays no longer, but he is risen and is, is in heaven at the right side of the Father. And oh God, it's such a beautiful day. Thank you, Lord God, for Resurrection Sunday. Thank you for this Easter morning. I just had to share that this morning. I couldn't go forward without telling you about this day, this most holy day, this most powerful day. And as we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus, as we're talking about him no longer being dead, but having new life, 
I want to talk this morning about you, about me, about us and new beginnings because so much of our time is spent in the past. So much time is spent in situations, in trials, in struggles, in trauma, in storms. So much of our time is seen in darkness that sometimes we forget to celebrate. We forget that we have an opportunity to start again. This, and I heard this from Willie Moore, Willie Moe, let me say his name right, even though it's Willie Moore Jr., they call him Willie Moe Jr. here in Atlanta. He is a DJ on a radio station. He said, this is a season of reset. Not this part of 2022. This is what Resurrection Sunday represents, a reset, a restart, beginning again. And it was very funny that he said that because God had given me this message before I heard that. So it was definitely confirmation that we are going to focus on new beginnings. So no matter where in your life you are, no matter where you stumbled or fallen, no matter where you were laid down, where you were tired, where you felt like you could not go on, this morning, this day should represent to you in your life a chance to start again, a chance for new beginnings, a chance to do it over. So wherever you are, I just want you to think about an area in your life that needs to be restarted, redone, a do-over, where you need a new beginning, a fresh start. And I want you to focus on that as we talk. And I want you to give it to God and say, Lord, I need a new start. I need a new beginning. I need a fresh start. I need a do-over. And if it's more than one area, that's fine. Go ahead and focus on that because this season, and I'm not just talking about April, 2022. We're at April 17th, 2022. I am not talking about that physical season. I'm talking about the season in your life, wherever you are right now, under the sounds of my voice, if you need a restart, I want you to focus on that area. Is it in relationships? Is it on your job? Is it in your career? Is it with your family? Is it in friendship? Is it within yourself, your purpose? Have you been um, procrastinating? Have you been distracted? Have you not been able to focus on you and what you need to do? Have you been lazy? Have you given up on yourself? Has doubt, fear set in? Have they crept in and taken your strength and in your uh, power to move forward? Where do you need a reset? I want you to focus on that today. As a matter of fact, you know I'm the assignment giver. I want you to write down the area or areas that you need to be reset, where you need a new beginning, where you need God to blow fresh wind in that area. I need you to write it down, make it plain, write the vision, make it plain. Lord God, this is where I need a reset. Lord God, this is where I need to start again. Lord God, this is where I need a new beginning. Things didn't work out the way they should have. Things didn't work out the way I thought they would, but I won't give up. I don't give up because you gave me this promise. You gave me this purpose. You saw about me. So Lord, I need you to reset this. Go ahead and write it down. And this week, just be in prayer for a reset, a renewal, 
a new beginning, but under God's direction and in his power and in his strength, not you just doing it, but allowing God to really do it for you. Okay. So we're focusing on new beginnings. We leave in the old things in the past. We are setting our sights on things not behind, but things before us. We are focusing this way, not that way. We spent enough time behind. Let's start thinking about forward motion, forward movement. It's time to let go of those things that held you bound and time to release them to God. And it's time for your new beginning. Okay, so let's start because I don't want to hold you too long. I know we're going to service. I know we're spending time with family. You may have breakfast plans, brunch plans. And so I don't want to hold you, but I am going to walk through a couple of scriptures. So if you have your Bible or your phone with a Bible app on it, let's walk through some scripture as we talk about new beginnings. The first thing I want to talk about is Genesis 41, 14. Genesis 41, 14. Can you pull that up? Okay. Genesis 41, 14. And I'm reading in the NSAB. You can read in any version. It says essentially the same thing. It says, then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Joseph came out of the dungeon. Okay, let's continue. Next scripture that I'm going to read is John 11:44. So turn with me to John 11:44. And it says, the man who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings and his face was wrapped around with a cloth jesus said to them unbind him and let him go unbind him and let him go lazarus came out of the grave our next scripture is going to come from john 20 it's the fifth through seventh verses and they say and stooping and looking in He saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And to Simon Peter, and so Simon Peter also came, following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Jesus came out of the tomb. And here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to say to you, come out of your old way of thinking. Come out of dead thoughts. Come out of your old ways of doing something. Come out of those old habits. Leave them there and put on this new garment. Put on these new thoughts. Put on this new mindset. Put on these new clothes. Put on these new habits, these new ways of doing things. Leave the old in the old and you come into the new. Why do I say this? Because so many times we try something and it's the same way and it doesn't work. Didn't they say the definition of insanity is doing something the same way over and over and over again, expecting a different circumstance or result? Well, you've been trying something the same way and it's beating you down. You've been trying and trying, but you're not able to overcome it. You're not able to push forward. You're not able to push past it 
because you keep doing the same thing. You still have those same thoughts, that same mindset. It's time to put that off and put on the mind of Christ. Now you're supposed to do this every single day. Every day is a new beginning for you. Every day that God wakes you, you have a new opportunity to do something different, to do something right the way that it's supposed to do. So you put on the mind of Christ every morning. You ask God and pray and say, you know, forgive me for some things I said or all the things I said, thought and did. Forgive me for them. And now, Lord, I need your mind. Help me to focus the way you would focus. Give me your direction. Guide me. Allow your will to be done. Jesus said it in the garden. Even though I don't want to go through this pain, even though I'm innocent, I'm not guilty, even though this is not my weight, nevertheless, let your will be done. There's so many people that are scared to say that to God because they want to control their future. They want to control their present. They want to control their life. But you've been controlling it and what's happened. You've been taking leadership and what's happened. Things have not gone your way. Things are not working out for you. You're crying and whining. You're seeing yourself losing, but you won't submit. You won't surrender to God and his authority. And I'm here to say to you, put on the mind of Christ because you can't do it by yourself. Big mama can't help you. Pops can't help you. Nene, Ray Ray, Shay Shay can't help you. Your neighbor down the street can't help you. Truth be told, the pastor can't help you because if you're not being obedient to God and surrendering to his will, it's not going to happen for you. It is about you and your free will, yes, but the better thing is to take your free will, place it with the mind of Christ, get his direction and guidance and walk out and you will walk into purpose. Have you ever noticed when you've been struggling, fighting, fighting, fighting against something and nothing works, no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, it doesn't work. And you get to a point and you're like, I give up. I'm tired. I surrender. And at that moment, even though the situation hasn't changed, even though you're crying your eyes out, even though you're still in the same predicament, there's a sense of peace that passes over you. I want you to think about that. In those moments when you have given up and you have tried and tried and tried and you stop, you stop striving, you stop pressing, you stop pushing, and your shoulders slump and you feel like you're in your greatest defeat. And in that moment, because you know you can't do it, this calm, this serenity passes over you and you're just like, I can't do it. It's in those moments, if I can be transparent, when I say to God, Father, have your way. I can't do it, Lord. I'm tired of trying. I mean, I'll be bawling. I'll be crying, crying my eyes out. And I'm like, God, I can't do it. I tried. I did this. I did that. I did the other thing. It's not working, Father. I did this. I did the other thing. And Father, it's just not working. I can't do it. I submit to you. I surrender to you. I, I just can't. I can't handle this. And even though right then the situation doesn't change, I feel so much better because I've stopped. 
I've turned my mind off trying to think of 1500 plans to get my way, to get it to work. And now I got somebody else doing the thinking for me. I got somebody else that's staying up all night. I can sleep now. I don't have to pace anymore because I got somebody who's working on the situation, even if I don't see it. Even if I don't feel it at that time or at that moment, I know that the person who handles everything in the world, in the planet, in the galaxy, in the heavens is working on my situation. So I can give it to him, let go, breathe, and move on to something else. Do you know I had a situation and it started, it started months before, but October, it reared its ugly head of 2021. I had no direction. I didn't know what to do. I had tried months before. I told you it started months before October to figure it out, get it in order, put it in place. I stayed up at night. I wore out my carpet walking back and forth. I tried to think. I tried to come up with plans. I asked for help, didn't get help, tried to get help, tried to make help, tried to do all kinds of things. It wouldn't work. And so when October came, bam, it blew up. And I remember my history with God. So you got to have some relationship with God and you got to have history with him. That's why I always tell you to write down your gratitude um, placards, put them on paper and write down how God has helped you in your life. Even write down the miracles he's created in your life, the things he's done for you in your life, because at some point you're going to have to go back in those trials in that trauma and remember that God got you out of a situation that was similar. It may not have been the same situation, but it was a situation that was dire. And you remember that and you go back and say, okay, God did it for me then. I know he could do it for me now. And that's where I was in October. And so in October, I was like, here, God, I gave it to him. And my history with him showed me that if I took it back from him, I wouldn't be sleeping again. I'd be pacing again. I'd be stressed again. My blood pressure would be up. I'd be in the hospital or the doctor's office with them telling me, do you want to die with them upping up my blood pressure medication? And guess what? All of that would have been happening and my situation still would not have changed. And so I said, you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm giving all of this to you, God. I'm taking my hands away. I don't want it. And from October, <laughs> until april this situation played out that's november december january february march april that's six months six months where if i had it in my power and in my control i would have stressed about it if i had it in my power and my control i would have been up all night i would have been eating I would have been crying every day. I would have been worrying every day, pacing the floor. My medication would have been up. I would have been either in the hospital or the doctor's office with them telling me your stress levels are unhealthy. No, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I had too many other things to focus on. So when I gave it to God, I truly gave it to God and left it with him. I had forgotten about it. I knew in the back of my mind, because you know how the enemy likes to come in when there's a concern you have, even as you give it to God, the enemy wants to come in and 
and, and vocalize it and remind you so you can go back into that place of worry. I had to rebuke Satan. Get behind me. Get thee behind me, Satan. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I cast you back down to the pits of hell where you belong. You're not going to keep me up at night. You're not going to have me worry and concerned. And so that's where I was. And I had this peace about this situation, even as other situations were happening, even as other things were going on, I still had a place of peace. And because I had this place of peace, I was able to sleep at night. Excuse me. I was able to eat regularly. I wasn't binge eating. I didn't give in to my compulsions. Thankfully, you know, also I was working on myself because I have a ministry group. And we were working on releasing our compuls our compulsive behaviors and our compulsions. So I couldn't even tap into the things that used to get my mind off things. So it was just truly me and God. It was just us two in this situation that was dire. It was a dire situation. It could have changed everything about not only my life, but the life of my kids, the life of my family. And I was just like, oh, father, excuse me. Oh, Father, this this serious, but I trust you. And I gave it to him. And don't you know, he worked it out for my good and his glory in April. Now, it started months before October, but it hit in October. And for six months, it was up in the air, up in the air. I would get notifications about it, notices about it, information about it. I, nothing I could do. Hear God <laughs> and move on and do what he told me to do and be obedient to the work he gave me and doing the things he told me to do. And I'm sharing this with you because we have trials, just like those scriptures I read, Genesis 41, 14, Joseph was in the dungeon forgotten about, in the dungeon, in the dark place, in that dark place where we are, where we feel all alone, where no one can help us. When we're in that dark, dark pit, that area where if it's not for God, it won't get done. It won't get accomplished. We can't. We have no power. Just think about the trauma, the trials that you're in. They have you locked up, bound. But Joseph, being an honorable man of God, being obedient, not murmuring, not complaining, not stressed, not worried, he got out. And when he got out of his divers situation. <laughs> he shaved. He cleaned himself. He bathed, washed himself, and put on new clothes. Those new clothes represented a new mindset, a new way of thinking, a new way of being, a new attitude. And he presented himself or was presented to Pharaoh in a new role. In John eleven forty four, Lazarus was sick. Lazarus died. Lazarus was, Lazarus was in the tomb. His sisters, Mary and Martha, and the, and the um, Israelites mourned him because Lazarus was dead. Jesus was off. He didn't come back for four days. And when he came back, Mary and Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus wept. Yet... Jesus called into the, the grave and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came and he was bound out in death clothes, his grave clothes. He had them on. 
Jesus said, unbind him, clean him up. So Lazarus was in a dire situation. He was dead. He was at the epitome of trauma, the epitome of a trial, the epitome of a bad thing happening. But he was resurrected, brought back to new living. But in his new living, Jesus said, unbind him, take off those dead clothes, give him clean clothes. In John 20, 5 and 7, Mary, Mary, and Salome ran to the tomb of Jesus because they wanted to anoint his head as was tradition and custom. But they got there and the rock had been, the stone had been rolled away. And they ran and told the disciples. And when the disciples heard, the story says that the three ran. There was James, there was John, and there was Peter. Peter got there, but didn't go in. The one who loved him got there and went in. I think I have the story right. I believe it was, no, it was the one who loved him that stayed back. So John stayed back, but Peter went in. And when he went in, he saw the wrappings, the death wrappings that were on Jesus in a pile. And the face cloth that they had over his face piled away from the wrappings. Guess what? Jesus wasn't there. He had been resurrected and he left his what? His death clothes, those dead clothes, those old things, those old problems, those old situations. Truth be told, he left them all on the cross, but they buried him. And when they buried him and assumed he was dead and was going to be that way for the rest of his life, they wrapped him as was custom in those garments of death. So uh, Jesus's resurrection, he took off those dead clothes and put on new clothes to represent a new way, a new life, resurrection, out with the old. And so I'm saying this to you in your new beginnings. Come out of your old ways. Come out of your old habits. Come out of your old mindset. Come out of your old ways of doing things and, and woe be me and death is upon me and nothing will work in my favor. Nothing is going to help. I need you to have a new way of thinking. I need you to do things a new way. I need you to be resurrected. I need you to be reborn. And as you are being reborn and as you have a new way of thinking, a new mindset, new habits, a new way of doing things, I need you to change your clothes. I don't even mean physically. I mean spiritually. What have you been doing to bolster your spirituality? What have you been doing to bolster your relationship with God? Have you been praying? Have you been fasting? Have you been spending time with the Father? Have you been worshiping? Have you been praising? Have you been communicating him with him throughout your day? If not, this is a perfect time to put on those new clothes, the new worship, have you been half-heartedly worshiping? You know, you play the song and, oh, it's a song I remember, so let me just sing along with it. Or are you really giving your all to that song? Are you really worshiping? Are you really praising? Are you really giving it all your all to God? Oh, it's time to pray. Let me check it off the list. So I'm going to half-heartedly pray. Thanks, God. 
appreciate you, Dad. You're the bomb. You're great. You're wonderful. And they'll go on. Or do you actually spend time for real praying and revealing to God, confessing to him what is happening in your life and the life of those you love and care for? What about the people you're interceding for? Are you lifting them up? Are you asking God to step into their situation? Fasting. Are you really fasting? Are you trying to fit into a skirt? Yeah, I said what I said. You know, sometimes we say we're fasting. We're not really fasting. We're dieting because our mind is not on anything to release us. It's not on connecting with God. It's not having relationship and conversation with God. Rather, it's just something to do and check off our to-do list. So as you're changing your garments, I need you to know that changing your mind is good. And that's where it starts. But I need you to change your heart. You need a heart change when you have a mind change. What are your motives? You got to check those motives. Are they set in line with God or are you doing something to get something? Do you have an ulterior motive? Is there an agenda here? Is there strings? Are there strings attached to this? Check those motives. As you are cleaning out your mindset, check your heart status. Are you in a good place? Are you doing things because you want release, because you want to please God, because you've surrendered to his will? Or are you trying to get accolades? Are you trying to get a pat on the back? Are you trying to be seen? Are you trying to get the credit for? Check your motives when you're doing things. What is it that you hope to gain in doing the things that bring you closer to God? Lord, I'm only doing this because Bishop so-and-so will see me and I'll finally be in the spotlight. And now I can credit myself for doing this, for saying that. Now people will say it's all about me. Come on, check that heart. That heart is corruptible. Check to make sure your motives are pure. Okay, so I want you to come out of your old ways and habits. I want you to be renewed and refreshed. Think of the butterfly. Just go with me for a minute. We still got to get into the message, but I promise you I won't keep you too long. Think of the butterfly. The butterfly starts out not as one of the prettiest creatures on the planet. It starts out as a furry, not so great looking caterpillar. I remember... Um, one of my friends actually reminded me of this. I had a metamorphosis stage. I believe I met a metamorphosized quite often. I actually, every so many years, there's a new thing. But back here, because I went through so much stuff, I had a metamorphosis. That was actually my Kwanzaa name for a couple of years because I would go through change. But a caterpillar is hairy. I dislike caterpillars. I think they're really creepy and I, I just don't like being around them. My grandfather lived in upstate New York and growing up, my mom and dad would take us up there to see grandpa Dan. He, he was named just like my dad, Daniel. Um, he would take us, they would take us up there, me and my brother, and we would spend time with grandpa. And in a certain season, going to his house, I hate it because the caterpillars would be all over his property, all over his house and the roof and the, the um, 
the uh, siding and on the ground. And, and it just, it, it was billions to me of caterpillars and I hated them. They were creepy, crawly, they're hairy, they're disgusting. And so in order to get from the car to the house, I had to go through this area of caterpillars all the way up to through the door and I despised it. So I would do my, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And I would get into the house. But then there were certain seasons where we would see my grandfather and I wouldn't have to do this. I would be looking at the butterflies just flying all over, beautiful yellow wings. You know, that's my favorite butterfly. Black wings, monarch, white wings, blue, all kinds of blue. And I would just be in awe of how beautiful they were. And I wouldn't, ooh, 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 I would walk and just look and I would stay outside and just play with them to see if they would land on my finger. Here's the thing. Those beautiful butterflies I loved were the same caterpillars I ran from. Ooh, ew, 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 ew. We have a season, many of them in our lives where we go through a dark place. We go through a trying time. We go through hell. We go through an ugly area of our lives where we may be angry or bitter or have resentment, where we may not forgive someone when we are the ones who need forgiving. When we're in a place and, and, and people look at us and they see our ugly side, they see us rotten, stinky, mean, just spewing lemon juice. And people look at us and say, ew, ew, I don't want to be around them. Ew, no. Look at what they're going through. Look at their lives. I would never be around them. But I'm grateful to God because he doesn't see us just in our caterpillar stage. He sees us as the butterfly. What happens when we release unforgiveness? What happens when we release anger, when we release the sins of our past or our present, when we release the negativity, when we release the things that held us bound? He sees us free and free indeed. He sees us beautiful and flying and floating into purpose and into building the kingdom and to building his people and to spreading his word and spreading love and embracing love and opening up. He sees that. So you may be going through this stage, this caterpillar stage where you're ugly and hairy and, and, and just gross and you have this mean streak you're angry and you're bitter and you have resentment you're rebellious you you don't want to deal with anybody and people don't want to deal with you you may even physically be going through some things don't you know depression keeps you from really bathing the way you should and doing your hair the way you should and wearing fresh clean clothes the way you should so sometimes that ugly thing is not just in our spirits or mental or um, spiritual. I, I think I said that, but it's sometimes even physical and people see it and they're like, oh, no, I'm good. I don't want to go around them. Their spirit, it, it, it's something about their spirit. I just add eh, no. And I'm saying to you today that this is your chance. This is your shot. This is your opportunity 
to have new beginnings where you can release that pain. You can release that trauma. You can release those trials, those negative situations and negative circumstances and try again, try again, release it to God and have your new beginning. It's time to come out of your caterpillar stage and fly, be free. It's nothing like having freedom in God where you know you're doing the things he's telling you to do, not because you want to check off a box, not because you want accolades from people, not because you want to take credit for something that really belongs to God, but because you're doing it so you can be free to embrace all that God has for you. And it's not just financial. Sometimes we look for blessings that are financial and our biggest blessings have nothing to do with money because when God opens a door, you don't need money. <laughs> you don't need credit. You don't need a reputation. God favor, God's favor over you and him opening that door, you have a blank check. It's nothing like it where you can breathe. So I want to give you some scripture to back this up. <sighs> when we talked about Genesis with Joseph, when we talked about Lazarus in the book of John, when we talked about Jesus in the book of John, storms tested them. They were tried, but these were storms they didn't go looking for. These were storms that happened. These were situations that happened to them. Jesus was blameless. Come on. The most guiltless person ever to be ever in the earth. Lazarus died. He, he didn't ask for death. Death came seeking him. Joseph didn't ask for jealous brothers that put him down and sold him, plotted his death, but then made up this elaborate lie that animals um, killed him as they took his cloak of many colors to their father and he was sold and they got silver behind it. Joseph didn't ask for that. Joseph didn't ask to be this fine brother that Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with. He didn't ask for that. He just was walking in God. Yet these storms still hit all three of these people. And they were brought out of the situation. And there's some storms that come to us, that come around us, that hit us, that we didn't ask for. We were minding our business. We were living life and doing things, trying to dot I's and cross T's and storms and trials still came at us. But what about the storms we cause? What about the problems we knowingly walk into? What about the situations where we're culpable? What about the areas that we are to blame? and we're accountable for. What about those storms? I'm glad you asked. Let's talk about it. Turn your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, and I'm going to start at verse 15. Again, I'm reading from the NSAB, but you can read in any version of the Bible that you have. We will match up. Verse 15, then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David so that he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. 
I want to stop. No, I'm going to keep going. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead since he might do himself harm? But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that his child was dead. So David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he came to his own house. And when he requested, they set food before him and he ate. Andrea, why are we talking about this when we're talking about come out of your old ways, habits, when we're talking about new beginnings? Because this is the ultimate new beginning. Well, not ultimate because Jesus is the ultimate. <laughs> However, when we're talking about new beginnings, and new garments and doing things a new way. Here we have David, right? Let's let's go back in history because I want to show you how even when we cause storms, we still have the opportunity to have a new beginning and to do things a new way. David, we remember, you remember the shepherd? who had all these brothers. And when it was time for Saul to no longer be king, God wanted to change the guard, so to speak. So he sent Samuel to select a new king from the house of Joseph. I'm not Joseph, I'm sorry, David's father. And when he got there, his brothers went before him, but the oil would not fall. God was like, Samuel, stop looking on the outside. Yeah, they're tall, strapping, gorgeous, all of that. It's not who I want for king. I'm not trying to mimic Saul again. They had this strapping, tall, good-looking king named Saul, and he went to the left, so I'm not going there. He said, look at their inside. I'm looking at the inside. And finally, Samuel was like, do you have any more sons? And Jesse was like, nah, oh, oh, well, if we are to be honest, I do have this one, but you don't want him. He's out in the field. He's a shepherd. He stinks. And eh, he's a, the runt of the family. Ah. You don't want him. And Samuel was like, bring him in because the oil didn't pour for any of your other sons. So it has to be him. And the oil poured. So David was selected to be king. Remember this? But David went back <laughs> and was a shepherd. Then he was called into the house of Saul to serve him, to basically be his armor guard, to be there to settle the, the, the beast with music. Remember? And he sat at the feet of Saul and learned uh, kingdom, how to be a king 101. And then eventually David was made king. He was made king over Judah. Then he was made king over Israel. Remember? Remember the story? Okay. So in all of this, because David was a man after God's own heart, he pleased God. He was supposed to be at war. Remember? <laughs> Let's talk about it. He was supposed to be at war, but he was lounging, chilling at home. Don't things happen where we're not in line with where we're supposed to be and we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing? God has given us assignments. We're supposed to, oh, and this is an ouch. We're supposed to be writing, but we're sitting there binge watching the next reality, great TV show, ouch, 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 spanking. 
and we're out when we're out of the will of God, we're out of his obedience because we're supposed to be doing one thing, but we're doing something else. Those things just happen. And you're sitting there like, how in the world did this happen? Because you were out of the will of God. You weren't doing the thing you were supposed to be. You were somewhere you weren't supposed to be doing something you weren't supposed to do. And then this thing happened. And because this thing happened, now your world is shaken up. Things are changing. And so now you're angry and upset because it's like, this would have not happened. Why did this happen? This shouldn't have happened. I can't handle this right now. You weren't where you were supposed to be. You weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing. God had given you information. God's information didn't change because poo-poo looked good that day. God's information didn't change because she was looking spicy that day. God's information didn't change because you decided to go left when he told you to go right. God's information didn't change when he told you to leave them alone, but you kept playing and playing and playing and playing and not leaving them alone. His information didn't change. See, we're always like, well, God left me. I was one who said it all the time. God didn't leave me. I left God. The moment I decided to not do the thing he told me to do, I kind of left his presence. I kind of moved this way and he's over here. But I'm saying God left me, but yet I'm the one that made moves. I saw the fork in the road. Instead of going left, I went right. Or instead of going right, I went left. And some of us create our storms and our problems, our struggles and situations because we take it into our power to do the thing that God did not tell us to do. Or we do the very thing he tells us not to do. And so we find ourselves in this storm. David is about to hit a whole hurricane because he is the king the leader. Kings go to war. They don't just send people to war for them. They go to war. So David is somewhere he's not even supposed to be. He ain't supposed to be in the palace kicking back, chilling. He's supposed to be on the field fighting. And so he's not where he's supposed to be. And he puts himself into a situation. I'm saying this because there are many of us who put ourselves in a situation because we're not where we're supposed to be. Why did that thing happen? Because God told you, here is your assignment. You're supposed to be working on your business. You're supposed to be in school. You're supposed to be singing. You're supposed to be writing. You're supposed to be rapping. You're supposed to be making the best next book, festival, event, opportunity of a lifetime. But you playing patty cake in the field I didn't call you to be in. Why did this happen to you? Because you left me. I had you covered in the area I wanted you to be in. If you had stuck to what I asked you to do, writing your book, going to school, ministering, going to work, seeing about your parents, seeing if you had stayed there, you would have never encountered the storm you're in now. But I can't force you to do it because you have free will. 
I told you to leave her alone. I told you to leave him alone. I told you to leave it alone, but you kept playing with it, playing with it, playing with it. You were disobedient because you ain't want to give it up. You didn't want to give them up. You didn't want to stop. So you walked right out of my covering into the storm and now you stuck like Chuck. Now you got to go through what your choice caused. Oh, that's a hard one. Knowing you're in a storm that you caused. Andrea, I don't cause storms. I'm not a weather person. How? You caused the storm because you chose to go away. God didn't tell you to go. Or you chose to go away. God told you not to go. He didn't tell you to do it. He told you not to do it. And you went anyway. And because you went anyway, you walked right into the eye of the storm. And now you're saying, God, you're not listening. God, you're not here. God, you're not getting me out. And God said, I'm still back <laughs> where I told you to go. That place, I'm still there. You walked out of my covering. Now you got to face this storm and prayerfully, you'll come back to me. Because that storm cloud is going to chase you till that storm is over, until it's time for a release. And at that time of release, I'll be there. I'll cover you. Come to me. God is a gentleman. We always say it. We laugh about it. But it's a true story. God's not going to force him way into his way into your situation. You ain't asked for him in it. When he told you not to go, you shut the door on him. When he said, don't do it. You closed the door and did it. Now you're like, God, I can't hear you. God, where are you? God, I need you. God, be here for me. And God's like, um, the door's closed. You closed it now. We want to sit here and blame God. Oh, God, you did it. Oh, God, you allowed it. Oh, but we got free will. We make our own bed. We make our own choices. So it's on us. So now we got to reopen the door. Go to God and say, hey, 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 big head. <laughs> hey, boo. I know you told me not to do this and I did it. And this is where I am. I'm sorry I was disobedient. I'm sorry I didn't listen. And I'm even sorry that I'm in this situation. What can we do about this? How can I overcome it? Can you help me? It's in your, oh, I'm jumping ahead of, oh, oh, oh. see y'all trying to take me to the end of the message and I got to give you more meat. All right. So David's where he's not supposed to be. And as he's somewhere he's not supposed to be, what do you think happens? He walks outside and he sees this fox. He sees this bad mamma jamma. He sees this hottie. He sees this shorty and she's bathing. So it's not even that he saw her just walking past. She's in all natural beauty bathing. So he sees the goods and the goodies. And he's like, oh, sookie, sookie now. I want that. So he calls his servant and gets that. Hits that and finds himself in a storm. Somewhere he wasn't supposed to be. Now he's linked up with someone he shouldn't have linked up with. Why? Because she was Uriah's wife. Bathsheba belonged to someone else. And I don't mean like a possession. She said, I do. That's what I mean by belong. 
She is another man's wife. And I'm sure that in those 10 commandments somewhere, it says thou shalt not commit adultery. That means be with someone else's wife or husband, their spouse. That's one of the 10 commandments. That's back in Moses' day. So we know David, the king and a man after God's own heart, knows this. You, this ain't something you're supposed to do. But David goes for it anyway, because why? He's out of order, because why? He's somewhere he's not supposed to be. He is out of the will of God. Just chilling. Sometimes just chilling gets us into a lot of problems. Our guard is down. We sitting there just chilling. And then we find ourselves in situations that we can't get out of. So now he's laid, laying with Bathsheba. Sends her back to the house. He's like, all right, cool, cool, cool. We, we, we fulfilled that desire of lust, which lust, it goes against God. And you lust with your eyes before you ever touch anybody. So let, let's talk about that. So yeah, so we got lust, adultery. Now he sends her home. Then she sends a message back and says, oh, guess what? <laughs> I'm pregnant and you the daddy. He's like, me, the dad? Oh, no. Can't have that. Oh, so what happens next? The cover-up. And so in the cover-up, he calls for her husband to come back from war because he's like, okay, this is her husband. She's a fine woman. He's going to see her and sleep with her. So he plies him with all kinds of liquor to get him in the wrong state of mind. When we are out of order, the things that we go through to cover up our wrongdoing is crazy. Now we involve other people that are innocent. We involve situations and in, in, in places that have nothing to do with what we were wrong for, and we go for it. Uriah being an upstanding man saying, my brothers are in battle and none of them there with their wives, nobody getting, getting. So I'm not going to sleep with my wife either. So he doesn't sleep with her. So now David can't hide his sin. <laughs> it's out there for the world to see. The king called Bathsheba in. Now she's pregnant. She ain't sleep with her husband. So who did daddy be? And so now Uriah won't sleep with his wife. So now David comes up with another plan. Send him back to war. But this time, put him in the front lines. His advisor is like, put him in the front lines. But surely, if he's in the front lines, he's going to be killed. And David's like, just do what I say. So now, he was where he wasn't supposed to be chilling. He lusted, committed adultery, tried to cover it up. And now, he has planned and plotted murder against this man and he's culpable for murder because he sent him out to be killed oh yeah oh yeah not only is he an accessory but he's a murderer so now uriah dies he gets killed bathsheba is brought into the house of david david's like yes i'll sleep with her real quick we can change the numbers on her pregnancy we could say the baby came earlier something like that we're good nobody will ever know what I've done. I know my time is short, but I'm going to go and ask you for a few more minutes because I got to finish this. How many of us in our deception, in our trying to get over, in our sin, think 
Nobody knows what we've done because it's not obvious. See, there's some sins that are in people's faces and you can't hide because they're right there for the world to see. But there are other sins that people would not readily know unless we told it or someone told on us. Lying, stealing, because you can hide things, right? Even murder, because you can hide bodies. People do it. And so there are some sins that are right there blazing in front. And people love to criticize those because they're seen. But there's so many unseen sins. So be careful of judging others because your sin is still sin. And God doesn't judge one bigger than the other. That's the whole thing. Every sin is judged the same. So whether you're lying or murdering, still the same in God's eyes. So anyway, now he thinks he's gotten away with it. Ah, I'm good. And the ultimate thing happened. God calls in a prophet. Now I'm here to tell you this because so many of us want to run to the face of a prophet. So many of us want to be in the presence of a prophet because we want to hear how we're going to be billionaires, how we're going to be married and live happily ever after. We want to hear all these things. But when a prophet is called in, it's not ever always nice. When a prophet is called in, a prophet is coming to give you some information you may not want because there's some information God has been trying to give to you, but you've been too busy to hear it or you won't accept it. And he's like, okay, we know God warns before things happen. There's always a warning. We may not see it or pay attention to it, but there are times that there are certain people that God wants. And so in order to orchestrate things, he wants to get you on the right path, but it's still up to you to choose that path or not. But he'll bring in people who have information. And that's the prophet that has the information for you that you already know. There's coming to confirm it. See, David already knew what he did was a sin. He knew, but the prophet came in to let him know and confirm, oh, 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 the wages of sin are death. Because see, Jesus hadn't come yet. And that was the wage of sin. And that's what Nathan came to remind him of and warn him of before the big fall. And as we read on in scripture, and I really want you to read this for yourself. We're in the book of 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter. And you can read it because Nathan comes in at about verse 7. No, 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 no. He has to tell a story first. So Nathan comes in actually uh, verse one and he tells this story of how this king had everything in the world. And there was this, this man who only had one sheep, one lamb and cared for it and loved it and took care of it. Now, the king had everything, but he saw this lamb and said, I want it. And he took the man's lamb slaughtered it for himself. And David, just indignant. How dare that king do that? That poor man only had one lamb. And he took it for himself. Ah, he should be killed. He should be stoned. He should be made to pay for that. 
He must make restitution fourfold, the scripture says, because he did this thing with no compassion. Woo. He deserves to die. That's what David said. He was so indignant. Nathan looked at David and said, you are that man. And David's everything probably hit the floor. When we are confronted with our sin, I want to say this to you because we're talking about new beginnings and I'm almost done. Our posture should be humility. David accepted Nathan's correction. Look at verses 7 through 12. In those verses, Nathan tells David that he's that man. The Lord of God, the Lord God of Israel says, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like this. God said, I gave you everything. Let's bring it to today. I gave you your writing ability. I gave you your speaking ability. I gave you your drawing ability. I gave you the ability to create paintings. I gave you the ability to write books. I gave you the ability to teach. I gave you the ability to preach. I gave you the ability to be a CEO, a COO. I gave you the ability to be a bank owner. I gave you the ability to bring people out of debt. I gave you your ability. And then for some, I've given you a house, townhouse, condo, apartment. For some, I've given you a car, two cars, three cars, four cars. For some, I've given you a bank account. For some, I've given you a spouse, a significant other, a partner, a person. For some, I've given you a solid friendship, some solid friends. For some, I've given you peace of mind and calmness in your home. For some, I've given you a job and a great supervisor and a consistent check. For some, I've given you a place of worship, a place of praise, a place of prayer where you can go to and unburden yourself. For some, I've given you food to eat, place to cook it on, places to go. But if that was too little, if what I gave you was not enough, you could have come to me and said it wasn't enough, that you were not happy with what I gave you. You could have come to me and said, why can't I have this? Or I desire that, or I want this. Doesn't mean you would have gotten it, but you could have come to me and we could have talked about it. Instead of you being disobedient, instead of you being hard-headed, instead of you being stubborn and doing things your own way, instead of leaving my presence and walking your own way, instead of doing that, you could have come to me and talked to me and asked me, why not that person? Why not that job? Why not that house? 
Why not that car instead of you getting mad at me because I said no and walking away and doing your own thing and now you're in this struggle. Now you have to be punished for your disobedience. That's what God is saying. Why not come to me? Those people can't help you. Only I can because I can see. Why did I say no about that person? Because I see something down the road that is going to hurt you. Something that's going to destroy you. Something that's going to break you down. And now I got to build you back up to where you already were. But you didn't come to me. You didn't like what I said. You didn't like I said no. So now you went off sulking and mad and angry. And I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it my way. Who cares what God said? And now, now I have to come to you and say, this is your punishment for your disobedience. And David, in humility, sat there or stood there and listened to all Nathan had to say. No, it didn't feel good. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? And then Nathan called out everything he had done. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be his wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. And then to hear the punishment. Oh, this ain't good. The sword will never leave your house. Because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah to be yours. Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. What that means is he's going to have your wives, your women out in the open. It ain't going to be hidden like your sin was. I'm going to broadcast what you have done. The world will know that you went out of my authority, out of my power, out of my will. I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. You did it in private, but I'm broadcasting it in public. You wonder why sometimes people go through things and it's in front of everybody. Well, here it is. God doesn't always punish you in public, but there's some things that you do. God has to show the world that you've done it. Because you are a messenger and God wants people to see this. It's not that, oh, it's unfair. Susie Q gets to go through everything and nobody knows she's going through it. But as soon as I do it, because you have a bigger calling on your life. Just because you don't see it now or just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not so. Everybody wasn't a David in the Bible. Everybody wasn't a Moses. Everybody wasn't a Joseph. Everybody wasn't an Abraham. Everybody wasn't an Isaac. Everybody wasn't a Jacob. Everybody wasn't an Esther. There's so many people in the world that are not in the Bible. But there are some people that God called with a higher commission and they're in this Bible. And why do you go through hell every time you try to go left? Because God's called you to a higher purpose. Okay, we don't have a current Bible book that's being written, 
because it's already written. But your story will go forward. People will be talking about you for centuries to come because of what you have been called to do. You were not called to just sit in a corner and just be there doing what you want. God has called you to a higher purpose, a higher mission, a higher um, um, assignment. Thank you, Holy Spirit. That's why you can't get away with nothing. That's why your stuff got to be put on front street. That's why your sins can't be hidden. They out for the world to see. Because you've been called for a higher mission, for a higher destiny. No, you didn't choose it. You didn't ask for it. You didn't even ask to be born. But that's what God sent when he sent you in the womb of your mother. You were called. He called you. You couldn't call you. He put your father with your mother and created you in the womb and said, this is your purpose before you even got there. And now you sit and you're angry because you want to be just like the world. You want to get away with stuff just like the world does. And God's looking at you and said, but you're not of the world. You're just in it. I didn't call you to be one of. I need you to save those that can't save themselves. I want you to be the one that brings them to me because they would not come if it hadn't been for you. And I need you to minister to those million, two million, ten million people because there's nobody else doing it. Not the way you do. Yet we want to get away with stuff and we get angry because we can't be regular. But can I tell you this? If you were just going to be a regular person, there may not have been any need for you to be here. He already got regular people. So why are you? I know you don't like it. It's a lot on your shoulders. But it's necessary for you to do. It's you have a mission. David had a mission. His mission wasn't done, but he was almost taken out of his mission because of his sin. He was almost taken out, but here's something. Not only did David listen to Nathan in humility and take everything Nathan had to say, he accepted his wrong. Verse 13 says, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan immediately, immediately said, and Nathan said to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. That means you are forgiven. You shall not die. I need y'all to get that. If David hadn't humbled himself and accepted his wrongdoing and asked forgiveness, he was going to die. How do I know? He has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Now we're all going to die one day, but sometimes our choices causes us to leave this world sooner than we're supposed to. And here, David, he, Nathan said, the sword of death will never leave your house. The wages of sin is death. That was then. And so David had put himself into a place where if he hadn't humbled himself and accepted his wrong and asked forgiveness, he might have been taken out right then in that minute. And that's the crazy thing. See, I remember talking to someone back in the day and they said, you know what? Because I'm going to continue the sin that I'm in, 
I'm not going to ask for repentance because it's just hogwash because I'm still going to be doing the things that I'm doing until I am fully ready to be done with a situation. I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. And here's what I have to say about that. Repentance and forgiveness are two different things. Repenting, I want to be clear. Repenting is saying, this is wrong. I'm going to turn away from it, not 360 degrees, because if you go 360, that means you go right back to where you were. I'm going to go 180, which is the opposite, and not do it. That's repentance. I'm never going to do it again. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to fornicate. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to kill ever again. That's repenting. Asking for forgiveness is what David did. I will not. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I have sinned against the Lord and humbled himself. So you're fornicating, right? You don't want to, but it's on you. So you say, Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I gave in. I'm sorry that I slept with this person. I'm sorry that I did this with this person. I'm sorry. Now, tomorrow, you may go and do it again, but you're not doing it from a heart stand of, I'm just saying sorry so God won't kill me. You're struggling with this thing. You really want to be released from it, but right now you don't have the strength to be released from it. So you ask God to forgive you and to give you strength to fight it. So maybe the next day, instead of going to Shay Shay's house, you go to the park and you're able to resist. But the next day, day after that, you do go to Shay Shay's house and you give in and you say, Lord, I'm sorry. I tried. I tried so hard, but I'm weak. The flesh is weak. Didn't Paul talk about that in the New Testament? And so God sees you trying. God sees your struggle. God sees your weakness. And I believe he honors that. I believe he honors that. And you ask forgiveness with the right heart and the right mindset. And God forgives you because you're being honest. You're not trying to get over. You're really saying, I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to be this way, but this is where I am. And God says, I'll give you strength. Come on, let's try it again. Pick yourself up. Stop accusing yourself. Stop blaming yourself. Don't have that guilt. Release all of that. Ask forgiveness for all of that. And let's try it again. So David accepted his wrong. And then he had remorse. Look at verses 16 through 17. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David. Because remember, Nathan said, You're going, your son is going to die. I don't know if I said that. Oh, yes. Verse 14. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. See, sometimes your actions will cause others to do things. I know it's not fair. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. It's not fair that you're a role model. It's not fair that people watch you. It's not fair that you're an inspiration. It's not fair that you encourage people. So you doing the wrong thing will cause others to do wrong also. He says it. You have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Because you know what they would have said? And these are the enemies. David shouldn't be king. He's sitting there sleeping with another man's wife. Look at God. God chose him. And I want to tell you that your enemies are not always on the outside of you. 
Sometimes your enemies are the closest people to you because God would have blessed you with a thing, a situation that somebody in your circle wanted for themselves. Sometimes you get the man and your um, cousin wanted the man, not him particularly, but wanted to be in a relationship. And they've cried out to God. They begged, they prayed. They've been on 20 dating sites. They have met 15 different men and nothing. You go walk down the street and you meet the love of your life. You ain't pray for it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you were busy doing something else. And this man comes, y'all meet each other. You click instantly. You start dating. You start courting. Now you're married. Yet your friend and your cousin and your sister and your aunt and your neighbor been going to prayer service, been fasting, been wearing sackcloth, been crying and moaning. I just want a man. I just need a man. Come on, Lord, do it for me. I was not made to be alone. You know, that's in the Bible of Luther Vandross and I want this and, and, and nothing is happening. But God blesses you with this man. And now you have the man, but you cheat on him or you treat him wrong. Because you had, you, you, you had a mistake, a mistake happened. And God knows that he's blessed you with this union. And as soon as your enemies, friend, sister, cousin, neighbor, aunt, nan on them, <laughs> see this, they're going to say, see God, you gave her the man and she didn't even take care of him. But if you had given me the man, blah, 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 blah. I would have been his queen. But see, nah, 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 nah. But you didn't do that. You gave it to her. She ain't even appreciating it. She don't even cook him dinner. That's what they would be. And they would blaspheme. So instead, God says, I'm going to have to punish you right here that they won't even, what you covered up is going to be put out in the open. But they don't know the history because see, remember, they're thinking that is David's baby. So in order for the truth not to come out, God said, I'm taking the baby. That way they can't say David was made king and now he done slept with Uriah's wife. And ain't that Uriah's baby? Because it sure looked like Uriah. It don't look like David. And so when you do wrong in a thing, God also has to bring punishment so others won't follow in your footsteps. They won't do the things that you're doing and saying, oh, I got away with it. He wants them to be pure. He doesn't want them to have these hidden agendas or these obvious agendas because you got away with something. So that's why you can't get away with stuff. That's why Shay Shay can rob a bank and have all that money. But as soon as you try to get 50 extra dollars out of the ATM that don't belong to you, it closes down and takes your card. That's why people can scheme and do all kinds of things. But as soon as you try to do a fourth of what they do, you bust it. Because God's like, oh, I've been too good to you. I've blessed you. And people know I've blessed you. So I can't allow you to get away with stuff because I need them to see, oh, they're favored by God. And when they did something simple, God still punished them. So maybe I don't want to try that because I don't want to be punished too. That's why. But let's continue. So David was remorseful. Verse 15. No, verse 16. I'm sorry. David therefore inquired of God for the child because God, uh, Nathan said that the child would die, but David prays for the child and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. His remorse, 
He knew he was the cause of his son being taken away. His sins had caused him to have death by from his son. So his remorse was shown in. He went and fasted. He laid on his face and cried out to God, please take this sin away. Please don't kill my son. I'm sorry. This is all my fault. I didn't mean for it to happen. I'm so sorry. Don't take my child. He did this for seven days. On the seventh day, while he was still crying out, still fasting, refusing to eat, uh, refusing to drink, still just laid out before God, his child dies. He doesn't know it. He's still praying. He's still worshiping. He's still fasting. He's still praying. He's still fasting. He's laying before God. He's crying out to God. He's begging for his son's life. He's begging for God to change his mind. His son passes away. The servants know and they're like, oh my goodness, if he's been like this while the child was sick, what is he going to do when we tell him his son is dead? Mm. And this, this, this right here, this is the whole meat of our whole topic, new beginnings. David sees them off whispering to themselves and he knew. Even though he knew he did a strange thing, he said to them, is my son dead? He knew, but he still wanted confirmation verbally, verbally. And so he asked them, and they were like, okay, here it comes. We're going to have to sedate him, hold him down. He's going to lose his mind. They said, he has gone. He's dead. David says, okay. He gets up. Now, they haven't been able to get him up for seven days. He's been laid prostrate, moaning, crying, ripping out clothes, hair probably standing up on, on end, not eating. He gets up. And what does David do? <laughs> Washed, bathed, brushed his teeth, combed his hair, put on deodorant. Washed, anointed himself. Oh, God, just bless me. Father God, I'm still here. Thank you, Lord God. Just touch me. Anything in me that is unlike you, I ask that you would remove it right now. I am the king of Israel. Back in place. He changed his clothes. He took off his mourning clothes, his grieving clothes, his wailing clothes, his dead clothes, and put on fresh new garments. And what did he do with his fresh garments? The first place he went was in the house of God and worship new beginnings. When you are in your storm, whether it's a storm that came to you or a storm you created, remember, no matter how dark it is, yeah, go on and cry. Go ahead and scream. Go ahead and ask God for it not to be so. But at some point, acknowledge, humble yourself first. Lord, the storm that I'm in, especially if you caused it, is because of A, B, C, and D. Yeah, I'm responsible. 
I did that. I'm not going to blame everybody else. I'm not going to blame my dad not being in my life. I'm not going to blame my mom for being controlling. I'm not going to blame my aunt for not looking out for me. I'm not going to blame my sister because she could have stopped this. No, I'm going to look at my responsibility in this situation. And I'm going to ask you, God, to forgive me. And then I am going to put on new clothes. I am going to have my new mindset. God, I give it all to you. Though I caused this storm, I trust you to get me out of it. I'm not going to focus on it. I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to live. I'm going to continue walking in purpose. I am going to continue teaching. I'm going to continue painting. I'm going to continue this business plan. I'm going to apply for business loans. I'm going to buy that house. I'm going to continue living, giving you the situation. See, David gave it to God. God said, I'm killing your son. David tried to change God's mind. And this is what I'm telling you. That's the part where we cry, we moan, we whine, we pray, we fast, we ask God to get us out of this situation. But after a time, all right, yeah, okay, it is what it is. Lord, I'm coming before you and I'm just going to be honest with you. I did this. My choice did this. The reason why I'm in this situation is because of my choice. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't listen to you. I'm sorry I didn't obey you. I'm sorry that you said go left and I went right. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry about it. I give it to you. And then get into a place, and this is so true. My daughter said this to me, my youngest. She was like, mom, sometimes when I'm feeling away, just going in and taking a long, warm shower, you know how water is not good for us. Sounds good to say, but it's not good for you. I take a long, warm shower and just wash. And by the time I'm done, I feel better. In every scripture we went over today, they bathed, they washed, they did their hair. Sometimes doing stuff on the outside changes some of the way you're feeling on the inside. So wash, go put on your pretty wig, go fix your hair, go get a haircut. Put on something clean and fresh and bright. Don't put on dark colors when you're grieving and mourning or you're going through trials and tribulation. Put on something bright. It brightens your mood and it brightens those who see you in it too. And then worship. That's one of the things we don't like to do because we're going through a situation. But me worshiping God in those moments... If I can worship God during some of those times I had in my life, those storms I had, I know I can worship God with some of the other stuff that comes because I've been in some of the trials of my life. I'm talking about I look death in its face. It was sitting in front of me, beside me, around me. And if I could worship God in those times, I know I can worship God when I need a bill paid. And so I'm saying this to you today. That even in your storm, even in your trial, even in your diverse situation, trust God, praise him, worship him. Andrea, what do I worship? If you can't thank him for things that you have in your life, worship him for who he is. 
If you can't think of one thing to be grateful for in your life, then just worship God for who he is. That's worship. It's not what God has done for us. It's who God is. So just start saying the names of God. Look in your Bible. It talks about the different names of God in here. They call him my provider, Jehovah Jireh, my healer, Jehovah Rapha, the God that goes before me in battle, Jehovah Nisi. Jesus, my peace, Jehovah Shalom. Come on, it talks about it. If you can't do it on your own, this book has so many names of God in it. Adonai, Elohim. Oh my goodness, y'all gonna make me scream right now because just hearing those names and what they stand for. And if you don't understand them in here, I am going to suggest a book and I don't usually do this, but I have to because I want you to get into your spirit, the names of God. Tony Evans, phenomenal pastor, phenomenal word in that man has a book and it's called the names of God. He actually has a couple. He may have two or three of them. And in his book, he lists out the different names of God, what they mean and how to pray them, where to find them in scripture. It's been such a blessing to my life. I'm going to be honest with you and we're getting ready to go because I kept you way over time now. When I was new to the faith, I would listen to worship songs, gospel songs, praise songs. And there would be words in there I didn't understand. And I'm grateful. You know why? Because I looked up those words to see what they meant. I'm one who I'm not going to be saying things unless I know what it means. And I went to my best friend, Google, and I would look up, um, excuse me, I don't like that white line. Um, I go to Google, I went to Google, and I looked up what Jehovah Jireh meant. It was in a song, and I, I don't want to say the song name wrong, but there was a song I used to listen to, and it was like, oh, I was about to sing it, I'm not going to do that to you this morning, but it was Jehovah Jireh, and in the song, she said, my provider. But I went and looked for myself to see, oh, because of who you are, thank you, Holy Spirit, high five. Because of Who You Are is one of my favorite songs. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And I went and looked up every title she used in a couple of places. And then I went to the Bible and found it in Bible. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is real. So when I say Jehovah Jireh, I know I'm saying God, my provider. And God has been my provider. And when I'm in worship and I just think of God being provider and how he has provided for me and my children, I just go to a place. Worship, even in your darkest moments. When I tried to take myself out and God wouldn't let it happen, one of the first things I did was worship. In my depression, worship. In my sadness, worship. Because at that moment in time, I could not think of the things that God had done for me. But when I called out his name, it brought to my remembrance, even though I may be struggling right now, five years ago when I was struggling, you did this for me. And I went to a place of peace. Peace is so important. You are at the place in your life where you can have a new beginning. On this day, this day, this beautiful day, this Resurrection Sunday, 
where Jesus resurrected, he got up, mm, went up. Mm, mm, mm. You have the opportunity for a new life, a new start, a do-over. It's not just because it's Resurrection Sunday, but that's what it represents. Jesus is resurrected so we can be resurrected in him. And so I want you to take this opportunity to walk with him, to start your new life, to do it again. Yeah, you failed 10 times, but like Cardi said, fell nine times, but I got up 10. Keep getting up. Every time you fall, pick yourself right back up. Get back up and try it again. Seize your new beginning today. Don't put it off. Do it today. And for those of you who don't need know Jesus, I want you to say this with me. Lord God, today, I commit my life to you. I'm going to go slower. Lord God, today, I commit my life to you. I accept that you are Christ, that you are the Messiah, that you are the son of God. I believe in the power of God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. I commit my life to you. I believe Jesus is Lord and I will serve you for the rest of my days. Amen. If you said that prayer, welcome to the family. You are now saved. You have now walked into salvation. That's all it takes. I'm just going to ask you to please go to a church house, local, a local church house where you can learn about God, where you can learn about Jesus, where you can learn about being a believer. A church that's Bible-based, Bible teaching, Bible learning. And one that feels comfortable in your spirit. If you don't know of one in your area, please send me an email with ministries, the number one at gmail.com. That's W-I-T-H ministries, M-I-N-I-S-T-R-I-E-S, the number one at gmail.com. And I'll help you find a church home. It's so important for you to come to Jesus. It's so important. And that's all we want. We want you to live life eternally. We want you to be in heaven and to be in relationship with God. That's that's my mission for you to know God like I know God and even better. Because I don't always get it right. I'm telling you the truth right now. I get mad when God puts me on that. Okay, you can't do things because I've called you to be in a different place. I don't like it. Trust me, I don't like it but he saved me. He changed me. He made me over. And so I accept what he's put in my life and I accept who he's called me to be. And I'm still learning some things about who, who the purposes for my life. But I do know this, that I don't always cross every T and I don't dot every I. I don't always get it right. As a matter of fact, I think it, 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 I'm probably doing more wrong than right, trying to get it right. But God is being patient with me and he's still pouring into me and training me up. So I'm just grateful that he hasn't given up on me. And if he hasn't given up on me with all my hard headedness and stubbornness, he will not give up on you. 
Have a great Resurrection Sunday. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm sorry, I am 38 minutes over time. I appreciate you staying with me. I will work on being in time, on time next week. Have a blessed Easter.